welcome to the Connected Communities podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we sit with Mark Cooper, who is the CEO at the School of Automation. Mark has had a very interesting career journey, and I regard him personally as my first unofficial mentor um, in the world of Civic Street after I left the forces. And he continues to be a good friend who is always there to offer solid, sound advice. Throughout this conversation, we look at a range of different experiences that Mark has had to navigate over his life, including growing up in the south side of Glasgow, going from professional football, and then making that step into the, the workforce, and then eventually into education, and now leading a tech company in Glasgow that has a global reach. Mark is a kind, compassionate, and thoughtful leader who is leading his organisation with empathy, kindness, and compassion. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I think it brought real insight into how Mark operates and it will hopefully give other people in those positions of leadership the permission to employ those values of empathy, kindness and compassion as well. Uh, I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. So Mark, welcome to the Connected Communities podcast with Be and Unity. Uh, for those that are listening, Mark is the CEO of the School of Automation and Mark's taking a wee bit of time out of his diary this afternoon to be able to go through some of his background, some of his story that I think will help a lot of people understand opportunities that are available for young people but more so give some young people a wee bit of inspiration to know that despite what you might think you're going to do just now, the trajectory of your life and your career progression won't always be what you've got in your mind when you're 15, 16, 17. So Mark, welcome. Thank you again for taking the time to connect with us. And what I'd like you to do firstly is just think back to when you were maybe 14 to 18, that sort of late teenage stage in, in development when you're leaving school. Did you ever see yourself becoming the CEO of Robotic Process Automation, RPA? Yep. Uh, firstly, Danny, appreciate um you asked me to do a podcast. I've never done a podcast before, so Good. yeah, make my debut. I hope it goes well. <laughs> um, but no, I feel pretty comfortable. You know, it's a chat with yourself, and I always welcome that. It's always good. So yeah, delighted to take part um, and be involved. To answer your question, geez, from 14 to 18, did I ever think, you know, having the job title of CEO at the School of Automation Jeez, no, the answer is just no. No, not at all, right? It's the best way. When I'm, and now you've got me thinking back, what did I think or what was I thinking? I, I, th I suppose for me, I could never think too far ahead. As far ahead as this, right? I suppose. You know, could I think at that age, 30 years ahead? No, I, I just couldn't, right? It's, you were a teenager at that point. Um I think you were only thinking about the next day <laughs> or the next week, right? Um, lots of different reasons for that. So no no way did I ever think you'd be the CEO at the School of Automation. Christ, did I even know what automation was? No, like it just, that was nothing in my radar or in my environment or what I was learning, what I was involved in. So definitely not. Um, and I suppose that's a big challenge for young people these days at that age is, you know, what do they want to do? How do they see their career or their future? And sometimes you just don't know. And at that age, you don't, but the unknown is, it can create a little bit of uncertainty, anxiety. People get worried about the unknown, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, 
that strikes up a lot of things in people. So no, for me, never any idea that this was even a, a job or a role, no. That is quite a big thing, not understanding the unknown uh, is it's actually one of the biggest indicators to people experiencing stress, not being yeah. in control of stuff. Yep, yep. Um, so what was life like for you then as, as, a, as, a, as a teenager? Go to, just go to teenage years. Yep. What was life like for Mark? He says that you weren't able to look like project 30 years into the future to understand where he would be in your career. Um, what was the next day like then? Like what, 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 were, what were the things that were going through your mind as a young person that you were excited about? Or maybe, again, maybe not so much excited, maybe stressed about thinking back? Yeah, God, thinking as me as a 14-year-old. Um, yeah, that takes you back to secondary school. Um, I would describe it as a, you know, a typical normal upbringing for, you know, somebody of a, a teenager my age, the environment, you know, I grew up in, you know, I came from the south side of Glasgow, sort of Nitz Hill area, which, geez, I think you could probably look back now and say, would you class that as a an area of low deprivation? Props, you possibly could class that as that, but when I was growing up, that was just, that was just my environment, that right. was normal to me. I didn't even think like that, you know? You just kind of got on with your day and your life. So going through th- secondary school, I, I was okay. I wasn't I wasn't like a hugely high achiever, you know? I, I don't think I was really that academic. I, I, I'd done okay. You know, I completed secondary school. I, you know, I went on and done some hires, which, you know, by no means, you know, were they all straight A's, not at all. You know, I, I was sort of general level in terms of academic ability. But one, th- one of the biggest things back then for me was definitely sport and football. You know, I, you know, I was lucky enough to play football back then, played loads of football right from school to different sort of teams. Um, and, and I got to, a, you know, I was lucky and fortunate enough, I got to a nice level, I got to a good level. That when I was 14, 15, 16, that's, that was my world at that point. You know, I'd, mm-hmm. I went to school and then everything out with school ultimately evolved around football. Yeah. Christ, if I was to think back now, there's times I would be training at least, dare I say, three to four times a week that after school. football training? It like totally was, yeah. But it was various teams at the time. I'm trying to just think back. I trained with various teams because you, you sort of could do that. You know, you played with your school football team. Let's say that was on a Saturday. You played with, you know, maybe another boys club team on maybe the Sunday but you could train with other clubs during the week as well. You know, yeah. And I think at that time, 14, 15, you know, I was I was training with a few different clubs, which made my my week was pretty busy, right? So school, home, training, or leaving school and going straight to training sometimes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so that that's what I remember from 14, 15, 16. You know, that was my life at that point. So I was pretty occupied. Yeah. in terms of time and stuff. So sport was a huge thing for me then. Sport, sport, sport's a big thing now as well. Um, and I, I find it quite interesting because I was always pretty rubbish at sports. <laughs> but what I want to just pick up on is something that you say there about living in the sort of south side of Glasgow. Yeah. And now it would be obviously classified SIMD as like a pretty high level of deprivation within some of those areas, some of those schemes. But it was interesting that you say it was just normal for you. Because yeah. I think like areas of deprivation become apparent to you when you become an adult and you yeah. actually, you look into it. Like That's what it. is an area of deprivation? Yeah. But for, for kids that are just 
experience in life at that point. You don't really know, like, holy shit, I live in a, a, an area where there's high levels of poverty. Yep, exactly. Um, so what, what I'd quite like today, just before we move into that sort of, what's sport done for you? When you say it was just normal, what was just normal? Like, what was the family environment like? And what was, like, your social environment like? Yeah, so... You know, I was lucky enough that, you know, I live with my mum and dad, and my, my brother and my sister, and then obviously myself in our house. What was normal, you know, we lived in like a terraced house, right? Um, you would call it these days, these days a, a scheme. Would you, would you live in a scheme? Uh, what was normal is, I suppose, that's quite hard to describe because, uh, you know, you just lived your days. You went to work, you know, both my both my mum and dad went to the work, we went to school, come back, you know, we never lived an extravagant life, you know, not at all, you know, it's like, well, not so much me or my brother or sister, but my mum and dad, they watched our money, you know, dare I say back then is we couldn't afford to go holidays, right? So mm-hmm. we probably as a family had enough to get by, to live, you know, but it, no way was that anything extravagant or over the top you know no way it was like my mum and dad were providing for three of us um we were also teenagers were quite close in age um so that was that was what i call normal i suppose that's normal's it's not the same for everyone is it but that was that was my normal yeah at the time and you just live that and you and it's just about repetition routine, hence why it became normal and normalised to me that that's, that was my world, that was that's what i done. Um, so I, I suppose, I don't know if the word normal is quite right, is it, looking back now, because you, know, you look nowadays, there's so many variations of what normal what is normal to someone, right? Be. Exactly, right? So right. I suppose it's only relevant to me, that was my normal and my environment, you know, that I grew up in. I used to leave, you know, even if in my spare time, you'd leave the house and, you know, I wouldn't be back for hours and hours in a day. <laughs> you know, I'd only be back to get fed, right? So right. my mum could laugh at that now and say, you'll never come back for something to eat. And then you were away back out again. And life is totally changed now. Like society's totally changed. Do you think, do you think it's changed for the better? It's hard to say, right? Because I, I, you know... I do believe everyone's a product of their environment. And sometimes your environment is, you're actually non-control of that. You don't, sometimes you don't choose your environment. For yeah. a lot of young people anyway, like you're brought up in that environment. It's not your choice. That's just where you are at that moment in your life and time. Is it for the better? It's it's probably easy to say, no, it's not for the better, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right to say that. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. I would just say that's how life and society has evolved. Mm-hmm. I, I, I found that interesting when you say that, Mark, because Noah is 10, right? And before he went to school this morning, he was like, I'm just going to leave my football boots at the door. And I said, you can't leave them at the door, the dog will eat them, but we'll put them in the cupboard. And he was like, because when I come home after school, I think I'm going to go out and play football for 30 minutes before, like, clean my room and then maybe play, like, Fortnite. Yeah. And I was like, it's funny how like that wasn't an option for us. Our generation, your ages, it was like you were exceptionally lucky if you had a PlayStation. Right? Yeah, yeah. And even at that, screen time wasn't really a, a prescribed thing. It was just like my mum would like go out and play football, like go down the road and see your pals, whatever it might be. Yeah. And like you, you'd be out till the lights come on, 
um, sometimes pushing your boundaries. I can remember shouting five more minutes, and that oh. went on for about an hour. Oh, right? yeah, so, absolutely. Yep. So you went five more minutes. I just thought it was interesting. Like we know us thinking that you might spend twenty or thirty minutes of football, and I think the actual benefits are playing football, as in the social aspect of it, and the physicality of it is is actually really health promoting. And I don't think that sometimes what our environments have got just now is like mm-hmm. giving kids that ability to to socialise the way that we had the opportunity to socialise. It wasn't that somebody made the opportunity for us though, it was yeah. just like that's what we had. Now there's a lot of selection, isn't there? Like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things that kids can do that are really good at. And they get a lot of enjoyment out of it and they get a lot of excitement and they actually get a lot of like motivation from using it because of the way that like the brain operates for them. But is it the healthiest thing for kids today? Yeah, I don't know. When I think back like that, it's almost like, was there a lot of choice? Probably not, right? There was definitely, you know, if I think back, there wasn't, I don't remember being a, there was a computer in my house to play. Not at that time, maybe a little bit later there was, but at that time there wasn't a choice to stay in the house and play the computer. One, you'd be under your mum's feet and she'd be like, get out and play, yeah. right? It, like that wasn't an option to stay in the house. Not yeah. really. So you had to occupy your time. So you'd be out with your friends in your area, wherever you lived. And you had sometimes you were bored and you just had to make up, you know, what is it you're going to do today? You know, that could have been most of my time was probably playing football and, and I suppose all the other things that you would do as maybe a teenager with your friends in your area. You know, but it would all involve mostly for me outdoors. You'd be out all the time. Yeah. Society's definitely changed. I don't think that's not that's not a young person's blame or issue, yeah. right? They just yeah. they've grown up in that environment. So there's been lots of changes. I think for young people these days, you, you just can't compare, you know, my teenage years to someone right now. It's a teenager. It's just not comparable. Yeah. There's different pressures. There's different options. There's different things things going on you know that are just so different and we, and that's how you must approach I don't know I suppose if if I was helping any sort of teenagers now and trying to navigate you know where they are and where they're going you got to take it in the circumstances that they're dealing with right now not the circumstances that I dealt with yeah Christ 20 years ago or whenever it was Aye. you know that's just not a fair comparison Aye. yeah that's, that, that's a good way to put it man don't don't try and judge it on what your experiences are like. You've that's got to that's take, impossible, right? It's, not, it's got a to totally different environment. Yeah. Aye. So life, pretty normal. I will put in Yeah, the, put that. Yeah. Inverted brackets uh, in absolutely, there. Yeah. Uh, so normal experience for you because that was your normality. Obviously, I know, but hopefully guests have picked this up from, from what you've been speaking about as well, is that football played a really important part in your development over those critical years of being a child, probably younger than 13, but right up to the point of being a teenager. Um, and I, I'm always quite interested in what that experience is like of being coached. So I went to a football team uh, and I was told pretty point blank, like, you're pretty rubbish at football, mate. Don't, like, you can come and watch, but you, you probably won't ever be able to take part. Um, and I can remember thinking, well, that's my chances of becoming, like, yeah. a professional footballer thrown out the window. What was your experiences of being coached like? And what were some of the positives of the coaching that you took? Like, what, what were the... Some of the things that the coaches gave you as tools that you then later used later in life. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably take that question in maybe two stages, right? Because, you know, I played football for a long, long time. 
Um, let's start with the earliest sort of time I played football and, and then being coached and coming through because later in life, you know, played at a slight higher level, which means, you know, different things were happening. So the earliest remember memory anyway of, you know, football and being coached and that was, I don't ever remember a coach giving me any, you know, sound technical football advice, right? It, it was never that because you were so young, right? Let's just say I played from, oh God, primary school right through secondary, right? So starting as early as, I don't know, would that be 10? Would that be right? About P5, 6, 7? Right. Is that about 10 years old? Something like that? It was all about the social aspect, right? Yeah. Um, that I remember back then. It was just about being with your friends and having fun and being able to play football. Nobody, no coach ever said to me at that age, you know, position yourself here, do this. When that happens, do this. You know, in any real tactical advice and knowledge. Yeah. Maybe they did, but it went in one ear and probably right out right, the other, right? You're too busy chasing Exactly. I was too busy having fun, playing with my friends, kicking the ball. And I suppose you just, that, you just develop skills, don't you, in terms of, in terms of football skills of touch and passing and shooting and dribbling and all these things just intuitively happen if you just keep playing and playing and playing and repetition repetition right and yeah. I suppose that's what I remember from the earliest sort of days playing football coaches at that time I think the best thing that I ever remember is just just encouragement right it's probably just their, their approach the way they spoke to you the encouragement you could almost dare I say you can almost forget the tactical information, right? I was, you were probably too young to really take that on board. Yeah. Really, I can't remember it anyway. So it was all about their approach because you always help. You always you had your coach up in like a pedestal, didn't you? Because yeah. you just wanted you just wanted someone to say you were good at that, or you know, or that was a good pass, or that was a good shot, or yeah. you know, you'd done something good. You were just looking for that bit of praise. Um, I suppose that all of us sort of seek, but especially when you're younger and you're trying to do well at something. Mm. So you you hung on every word that that coach said. Yeah. You know, I, I suppose in the earliest experiences, I, I suppose I had a good experience with coaches and it was just basically that. It was just encouragement. I suppose their approach um, and how they dealt with, I suppose, kids, myself at that age, 10, 11, 12, 13 and you don't have to overcomplicate it. That was, you know, in hindsight, looking back, that's my opinion now is you don't have to overcomplicate it. You just need to be uh, very simplistic, but just be nice, right? <laughs> just just, tr just <laughs> treat us, you know, in terms of kids and coaching, just be kind, just be empathetic, just be compassionate, you know, and the kids will thrive, Yeah, you know, Aye. you know, and take that approach. And, and ultimately the kids naturally then, go on and, you know, hone their skills and become better and better at each of the different aspects of football, then, you know, you can go and play at maybe higher levels and, and that sort of works itself out as you sort of get older. So that's probably my earliest memories. Older sort of memories, I suppose it started probably getting serious maybe around about 14, mm. for what I remember, probably 14 you could start going signing for professional clubs at that point and I had been training with a few different clubs at that point. Uh, did you sign with a professional club? 
at 14 you did there was something oh god what was it was it like an they called it like an s form or something like that i'm sure it was called and ultimately you signed with that club and that means you you played for that club and you didn't then play for any other club Aye. But previous to that i could go and train with various clubs yeah but once you signed for one club that would be you you would you'd be committed to them and you would only play and but you did sign for a club Eventually, I did. I did. Who, I, did. Who, who? I, I signed for Dundee United at right. the time. Probably more seriously, I must have been going on 15, 16, when it really started becoming quite serious, yeah. as in, you know, serious in a, in, a, in a way that, you know, I was thinking about my future and going, right, you know, I thought I was at a level, you know, I, I believe I was, that I could go and maybe have a career. Right? Yeah. So it was getting to that sort of level. So yeah, lots of opportunities, lots of good experiences. But again, you're still a teenager, right? So, you know, huge influence from your peers and what they think, how they behave, how you interact with them. You know, all that was huge. I done I done okay. I was you know, I was quite outgoing. I wasn't I was never afraid to speak and you know, talk. So, I, you know, I, I generally fitted well with teams and around my peers at that level coaching at that level it probably did start to that's when you were really starting to listen and learn you know especially tactically and things that you should and shouldn't be doing so you probably for me anyway that's when I really started to switch on and try to understand like properly what you were doing when you were playing football at that age and that was coached to you I suppose it was probably my biggest learning was yeah listening to coaches how they would speak the advice they would give you, just because they operated at probably a higher level and had experience at that level, and and older players as well. I think that was quite a big thing for me. Always watching the team above you because we were always just say we were under 14s, 15s, 16s. There was ones older than you, right? Aye, so aye. that was always good. I always really enjoyed playing with older players and teams. It really brought you on because you were no longer the best at that age or like one of the stronger players at that age. Once you went to a higher level, then there was people stronger bigger. and bigger Aye. and, you know, better than you. Yeah. But I always really enjoyed and I think I quite thrived on that. Yeah, but that's sort of my earliest memories of sort of football and coaching and sort of my thoughts on that. So when you were getting taken through the coaching aspect of... So for, for, being, for being like... A wee Wayne playing football up to maybe maybe the ages of like first year in school. It's, it's a bit fun. It's a bit excitement. It's a bit kicking the ball about. Usually not even kicking. It, it's usually a bit chasing it. Yeah. Um, and everybody just runs for the ball, and you know you've got twenty five kids running at one one corner of the pitch sort of thing. And then as you become a teen, it was a wee bit more about the tactical element of it, the technical parts of the, yeah. the you know like what's happening on a football pitch. You might want to chase the ball, but you can't because you've got to stay in that area That's to protect it, yeah. that area of the pitch. And for you, you obviously had some type of I'm not I'm not going to say natural ability because I think that people who get to that level who put time and effort into getting to that level, like you don't just wake up gifted at playing football. So you've obviously put a bit of time and effort in to get to that level that you could then go and sign and train with professional football teams. And you say is that you had this sort of thought in your head, like actually, like could be a career in this. Like there's an opportunity to to take it to the next level, go into professional. Why did that opportunity not come to fruition? You mean as a career? As a career. Uh, 
I'll try and steer away from any sort of sob stories and how I didn't make it as a professional player, right? But I, I get that, but I, yeah. I think that's like such an important thing to talk about because yeah. if if we picture how many kids there is in let's just go for Glasgow, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. that are in school, playing football, playing with professional teams, where the reality of the next level are going professional, like for a lot of young kids, that it's not going to happen. And it might just help them to build a wee bit of expectation, like to think not just one route, several routes. Uh, very, very difficult. I suppose for me, just very briefly, then is you know, I, I did, I did leave school. I did go and, I did go and sign. You know, as I said for Dundee United, I played there, so that was full time. So I, I left school, and that was my job, right? So I went there full time up to Dundee. I stayed there. I trained every day. You know, and I played in the youth team, reserve football, with the hope of one day, you, you know, you get through and you break into the first team, etc. Uh, why did that not really happen? Oh, I, I, I suppose I could speak about, I could speak so long about maybe all the different reasons. I had a couple of injuries that weren't good, you know, a couple of knee injuries. I must have, I could have maybe I lost about almost a year's worth of my time just because I was injured. Mm. Several times with my knee, you know, but... Like, I don't know. Oh, things happen for a reason, right? So I, I really, I don't really, I can sit here today, I don't really dwell on that, right? I suppose at the time, it is, you know, really disappointing. You can only imagine, you know, when that day comes, you, you know, somebody says, right, you know, you're not going to sign on again for the following year, right? Yeah. That happened. You know, really disappointed. I suppose that leaves you in a position, you know, what on earth am I going to do now? So going back to the, the overview of let's just say football and the amount, as you said there, the amount of people. Now you've got you know men and women's football, right? Yeah. So well, include women in that because yeah. you know the women's football's taken off. So the amount of let's just say young people, male and female, that aspire to go play professionally, have a career, and it doesn't happen for it is the numbers will be staggering. That's, you know, I don't have them in hand right now to say, but there's, you know, for every team, it's only, you know, the only first team squads anyway, what are you saying? They only carry a squad of between 15 and 20 players that would get to the first team, you know, and only 11 can play. So if you think of the amount of, the volume and amount of people that are trying to make it in professional careers and then the fallout rate and the people that are disappointed, the numbers are huge. Yeah. There must be, right? Aye. Um and I was just I was one of them at the time, a long time ago now. Um yeah, and yeah, I suppose you you try at that time I remember trying to pick yourself up and you've got a decision, do you still try and stay in the game and you know, look for another club and keep going, you know, or do I try another career and, and try something else? So you definitely do come to a crossroads and I said there's there's thousands of people, you know. There's definitely hundreds of people that I know that I played football with in the exact same position. It happened to them. And they're doing other things in their life. You know, I know a number of them. And and life moves on. But I suppose if when you're that age, you know, it could be quite difficult to deal with, um, think through, like, what am I going to do next? And I suppose the fear of the unknown yeah. comes upon you, right? And like, what, what am I going to do for a job and a career? And, you know, what are you going to do with yourself? Okay. So for you as a as a player in two years as professional footballer, Mark, and then for 
reasons through injuries, etc., etc. You then chose not to pursue a career in professional football. So just out of curiosity, what type of support was there for for you as a player who had committed a couple of years professionally? What was what support was there for you to make that transition out of football? Yeah, yeah, quite a it's quite an anxious time, I suppose, when I think back to that. And it's almost like you said, commit two years of your your life. It actually wasn't. It was my whole life up Aye. to that point, right? Yeah. I just I just happened to leave school and you know I signed a two year contract to go and play full time. At the end of that, yeah, I didn't. My contract wasn't renewed. It wasn't a case of you know just saying right, I'm going to stop playing football. It wasn't that. It was almost like dealing with the disappointment and then saying okay. Can the option was can I still try and keep playing football? And I suppose I did. I tried to, you know, I went and trained with some part time clubs at the time. You know, you go on trial. So I went and done that with a couple of clubs. And I suppose at the time you're going, okay, I, I need to earn a wage and a salary. The option to try and stay in full time football, it's really difficult. It's really competitive, really difficult. And sometimes you need to make a decision of, you know, do you try and stay part-time, which I did try for a little bit, which means you've got to go and get a full-time job. You've got to then go and balance full-time work, part-time football, you know, and I did do that for a little while. I maybe done that for on and off for about a year, just trying different clubs and trials, et cetera, et cetera. But it just proved really difficult. And I suppose at that transition years, I kind of fell out of love for enjoying it. I, you know, that's maybe the best way I could sort of describe it. I just didn't enjoy what I was doing anymore in, in mm. terms of playing football at that level um, or trying to still be at that level, I suppose. And ultimately, I, just, I made a decision where, you know, I got myself a job. I think it was my dad who helped me get a job in his company. You know, it was, not, you know, I suppose it was just a job to just make ends meet and, you know, get myself a little bit of money to you know provide for myself uh, I was still staying with my mum and dad at that time in the football I just I almost just made a, a decision of you know I'm just really not enjoying this and I played junior for a while so I kind of dropped down and then ultimately you know a, a number of years after that I, I just went and played with some friends at an amateur level mm. right and I suppose I found my enjoyment back again for playing football and training during the week and playing on you know, a Saturday and that's and I just sort of settled on that and then just sort of focused on you know a job and a career dare I say in the real world right where <laughs> of like everybody else yeah just trying to find a career and a job that that fitted yeah it was a kind of it was a dare I say a difficult few years to just sort of transition from that world, you know, into this, try to get a, you know, a real job. So I kind of relate to having a professional footballing career um, or like aspiring to, to have a professional footballing career. But I do know that through my career choices uh, when, when I was in the army, it wasn't so much as a job or a, or a career when I was in, I didn't see it as a career. I seen it kind of like as a way of life. And mm -hmm. I, can, I can maybe picture that just being the same for people who are like in love with sport. And they get the opportunity to go and to do that as, as their job, you know, like as their yeah. career, like playing something that they love doing is different from somebody going and just getting a job. And it sounds like when you left 
that way of life. It was yeah. it was like going and getting a job. Dad helped you to get that, and it was. I just suppose I, make... d- I didn't really answer your question there when I think about that. I didn't ask your question about what sort of support was there. The unfortunate thing was, I don't think there was support there. You know, when Aye. I when I left, there was maybe one or two, one or two leads, call them leads, that were put my way to try and go for a trial with one or two clubs, really. But after that, it really like the support just went very quickly, yeah. right? You know, nobody picked up the phone, you know, a month or two after, how are you getting on, what are you doing? There was no, let's say there was no, I don't know, maybe nowadays it definitely is different. and I, I know it's different, but nobody picked up the phone and says, right, here's what we're doing for people that maybe drop out the game or looking for careers in yeah. other yeah. industries and how do you upskill yourself and something. like yeah, There was none of that available, which I suppose... I, Looking back, you go, that's pretty disappointing. Yeah. Um, from what I know now, it has changed. And, you know, I, I do believe there's other options for people when they finish their careers or, you know, they're looking to go in a different direction. So I know there's a number of things that are in place now. So when you did make that transition, what was that first job? Christ, that first you, job. You explained yeah. it as something that, that to allow you to, like, sort of, what is it? Yeah, um, make, make ends meet. Right, to, to make is, ends meet. Yeah, like, just what was that job? That job is my dad worked in a place. It was a manufacturing place. Uh, it, was, it was in Renfrew, and it built uh, actually built computers. It's like manufacturing, so it built them from from nothing, right? So there was a huge production process as part of all that, and and ultimately I worked in a specific department doing a specific sort of task and job. And you know what? It was actually good fun. Aye, aye. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the you know wasn't the most glamorous job I was doing. It was quite repetitive, uh, as you can imagine. Anything in sort of production and manufacturing is or can be, but actually the people I worked with were really good fun to be around, which made going to work for me. It was actually you know it was fine. It was good. Yeah. Uh, I got to earn some you know you, you earned some money at the time. And you just got into that way of life of doing something different, you know. And through time, that became normal. Yeah, and you just sort of, I just sort of tried to navigate as best I can, you know, a different job and a career. It's interesting because working on a production line, I'd imagine it's your, you don't build the full computer, you no. build like a specific part, specific part, and and move it to on. the next level. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that type of job doesn't sound exciting. But it was good fun to go to because of the people that were there. So, yeah. like, the relationships really mattered, which is quite important. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, you don't need to have a big glamorous job to think that you can have fun when you go to work. What's more important is the actual aspect of the people that you work with and having good, solid relationships. So, that was the first job from leaving the old singing, old dancing glamour of professional <laughs> footballism. Yeah. Go, going into a production company working for a computing organisation in Renfrew. What was next after that? So how did so I met you when you worked um, with Tigers and you were one of my first bosses essentially from leaving the army, which for me was quite strange leaving this yeah. big machine into something that was it was very specific. It wasn't as um, there wasn't as many aspects to what the army's got, and I'm just curious, like how do you go from professional football yeah, yeah. working on a production line and then into education? Because that's essentially the route that you ended up taking into was into yeah. education. How did you get into education? I know, I know. If you, if you would have told me back then that's what you'd be doing now, I, I, my first thing would be like, how is that possible? How is that going to happen? 
but I suppose it does. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here speaking to you now, and that that is what happened. So, you know, I left that company. The reason why I left that company we talked about in terms of manufacturing was they closed to move their operations, I believe, to the Czech Republic. Um, I, I wasn't privy to the, the fine detail of that, but you know, I believe it was just a cost it's cheaper to go and yep. manufacture and do things in another country right yeah it's a safe bet to say that's why right. i'm sure it was right <laughs> so they slowly started downsizing making people redundant so i went through a redundancy there right and there's like i think I, what would i been maybe i think i might have been about 1920 say yeah and you were being made redundant and I'm like Jesus like what is this what even is redundancy like <laughs> you know so you're starting to learn that but I suppose I, good people round about me to advise me when that happened again like how do you find another job is again I spoke to my uncle he was working in a a company um I think that, that was East Kilbride at the time and it was, they were, they manufactured, um, I think it was like rain screen cladding, um, metal work, you call it that, right? Um, it's a wee bit more details and complex than that, it's a <laughs> bit simplified, but roofing, cladding, you know, that sort of industry. And there was a job there to work, you know, to work there with him. So, you know, it happened really quick, actually. He spoke to, his boss, yeah, they were looking for people. I think it was the Friday he drove me up, and you know, I spoke to. I'd say it was. It wasn't quite. It was quite an informal in- interview. You know, I got to meet the the guy that sort of ran that specific department. Spoke to him, um, and very quickly he just showed me around and says, you know, when can you start? Type thing. Yeah. You know, and I, I suppose for me it was. Because I think that's where I, I just sort of jumped in and I took an opportunity, right? It is, what did I know about rain screen cladding and metal work? I knew nothing about that, right? right? I just It was just an opportunity to stay in work. That's kind of what it is. I didn't have any other options. It's not like I left and had several things to pick from. I didn't. I just took an opportunity. My uncle worked there. You know, I just went on the assumption, you know, that could be a good place to work for a while. And let's just see what happens. I had no real future ambition to do too much you know and I just took an opportunity and I suppose sometimes for young people nowadays it's it's decision making mm. isn't it and mm-hmm. it's like what stops you what stops you deciding do that or do that or do that Aye. and it's almost like you're trying to find the right answer yeah sometimes you don't know sometimes Aye. you don't know if there's a right answer there is no right answer you just got to make a decision firstly which is probably one of the hardest bits Make a decision and just go and work hard, have a good attitude, get on with people, build good relationships. And I suppose that's what worked for me. And I suppose that was my sort of, that's the way I approached it and and looked at life, I suppose, back then. And back then, you know, I stayed with that business for about eight years. It transitioned a little bit. I sort of moved up. You know, I, I was trained in one area. I moved up and trained in another area. I trained in another area. And that was all just about seeing an opportunity internally in the business and saying, yep, I'll put my name forward for that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I just wanted to learn and do as much as I I could. Um, And with that business, you know, before I left there, you know, I was was a supervisor at at one stage, you know, 
there was certain jobs and things like that that would that would be done, schedules, things to be run. And I would, I would just say yes, <laughs> I, I'll do it. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I thought I'm quite good at leading and communicating and working with people and talking to people. You know, you know I quite I like working with people, leading things, organising things. You know, that's kind of where I suppose where I'd sort of developed my skill set. And before you know it, yeah, you, like you you go into like a leadership position, you know, and that's what I'd done with that next company. And I suppose what had happened, why did I leave there, is because they were going through a downturn in the sector. The sector was facing a little bit of a downturn, and they were making people redundant. What it was weird. What actually happened? I do remember that is they were making people redundant. I wasn't one of them, right? So I wasn't getting made redundant. But ironically, another opportunity came up to move to another business, which is the business we know and where I met you, Danny, which was Tigers, to go work there. And I I don't know, it was at the time where, you know, I I just said, look, this is another opportunity. I was there eight years and I thought, this is an opportunity to do something different and go into that training space and train people and prepare, prepare young people, I suppose that's where we're sort of getting to and prepare them for life, I suppose, yeah. careers, employability, jobs, you know, and I thought, I could, I suppose, why did I choose to do that? I just believed, you know, I could influence other young people. I think mm-hmm. if I give me a bit of time working with them, I'm sure I can have a positive impact on young people, you know, in their thoughts and thinking and help them, you know, progress into jobs and careers. You know, and I took the leap of faith that, you know, go for it, go and try it, go and do it. You know, what's the worst that can happen, right? Nice. Is Yeah, you know. And I just sort of led with that mindset of go for it, try it. And I did. And, you know, that's where I met yourself. Aye. And, you know, I was there for 10 years. And then, obviously, so, as we're, we're yeah, here so today. I'm, and, I'm, like, working out timelines in my head and, like, working back the way. So that organisation worked with in East Kilbride, the terms with the, the downturn and production and yeah like, yeah that sort of marries up about the right time is the recession yes uh, yeah Aye. good i mean yeah your timing could Aye. be right there yeah so possibly kind of recession wise i'm just going back 10 years to what i know about you is uh, it's about recession time so I, I appreciate you sharing that i think that type of journey people need to hear mm. um especially young people leaving school undecided what they're going to do like it's probably worth noting that the job that you do from maybe when you're 16 to 18 probably isn't going to be the job that you're doing when you're like 38, 40. Yeah. Aye, so so take, take that risk. I go and experience it. If it's not for you and you don't want to do it, you don't need to keep doing it. Like you've got a choice in that element. Yeah. That you can choose to take a risk and go and have different experiences that will build up your knowledge to get to the points where you're at just now. So all those experiences from uh, football, experiences of uh, your first job working in a, a production line and then into manufacturing and then through education and working uh, with tigers with young people and that led you on to becoming the ceo of the school of automation and like many people hopefully who are listening to this it's not just me when i when we had a discussion about what rpa was i was like <laughs> what is rpa so yeah, yeah, yeah. so here's your, here's your next question mark <laughs> Try and explain to yeah, people what right. robotic process automation is. <laughs> I suppose, well, let's take it back a wee step first, right, is, you know, I, I spent a lot of brilliant years um, at Tigers. 
learn so much. You know, I, I suppose for me, that's probably the place where I really evolved and got, you know, lots of learning opportunities, lots of experiences, you know, from management right through to being the operations director there. So, and I learned loads there. And I suppose the common thread that, you know, I would say is learning about people. Yeah. It's probably the, the biggest part of all that is, you know, learning about people, understanding them, and then how can you help them? And especially now is within a leadership role. How do you do that and break that down? So the opportunity with the School of Automation is, firstly, what what is the School of Automation? So, you know, an opportunity came up to, to lead this organisation where I am now. And ultimately that is training and supporting people to have careers in automation, right? So specifically what we do is we train people mm-hmm. of all ages, right, um, to learn to use a technology that automates processes, business processes. Yeah. So every business has got a process of some sort. And when you look at that and you're trying to make that process, you know, more efficient, more cost effective, et cetera, et cetera, then what we have now is we've got software that can automate that process, right? And it, that takes away repetition, right? So there's some processes that people manually do yeah. um, and repeat hundreds, if not sometimes thousands of times, right? It's very boring, mundane, um, mistakes can be made, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it's a human task. And there's just technology now that that, that can do that, that can mimic human behavior and automate you know, that process. And what we're doing is we're training people to use that technology to help and support businesses streamline their processes and become more efficient. Um, you know, technology is, you know, it's, it's, the sector is growing exponentially, right? Yeah. You know, there's lots of stats and, you know, lots of things that will read and tell you and forecast what the what the growth of the sector is. And there's very few businesses and sectors and industries that are immune from it. Very few, right? So there's, you know, almost every business will be affected by digital technology, um, and it's and skills will evolve, right? So people's skills will evolve and and move. And I suppose that's where I seen, you know, the opportunity at the school to say, okay, I'm, you know, taking what I currently know and do, and how can I now come into the school and help and be part of, you know, supporting people to learn these new skills in technology and specifically in this software. Yeah. The particular software you mention is RPA, which is Robotic Process Automation. That's one solution, right? Um, so without going too technical, it's like every business has got a process. Yeah. You know, that's, that can be really complex in some cases, you know, and there's, there's various tools, you know, and software that can solve that problem. RPA technology is one solution that can solve that problem. Yeah. And there's there's many others, right? So you just you've got to you've got to look at the business problem, you've got to look at the process, and then through you know some proper management of it and looking at it properly, you can bring in software and technology as a solution to help you. And an RPA software just happens to be one of those things that we're specifically teaching and focusing on. Um, it's going well. We're coming up for three years now. 
yeah, in almost, business. Almost, past almost that, three years. That yeah, three year I know. Point. It's been difficult. It's, it's nothing easy, Christ, um, about joining a startup business. And dare I say, that was in COVID, right? Aye. 2020, we started the business. The owner started the business, you know, and I came on board as the CEO to help lead that. Yeah, it was, it was a quite a strange time. Um, you remember back, COVID, everything was remote. You couldn't leave your house, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine trying to start up a business and all the things that go with that yeah. and all the things you need to do, but do it remotely, yeah. right? So there's a million big, different challenges big in there. Challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big challenge. Yeah, a big challenge. Again, like, I guess from my perspective, well done in being able to lead the team through that because... New start businesses are never easy to get past the first three years. Yeah. And the majority of new starts will fail within the first three years. So getting to that point is worth stopping and celebrating. I'm sure that you and the team will do that. I can remember speaking to you about an opportunity to join the school automation at the yeah, very start, at right. the launch point. You um, knocked us back, Danny. And, and I, I knocked you back, guy. Okay, BG. And I knocked it back, but I, I can remember being genuinely like really excited about the opportunity to to be part of that journey of growing yeah. a, a new organisation that's specifically focused on giving people really technical skills, but actually it gives them a really good career opportunity. Um, and it's usually young people getting into that sector that I was excited by. And just for clarity, I did knock you back. <laughs> uh, and I knocked you back because I knew that I wouldn't be able to give you my 100%. Yeah. Because this was in the background on my mind and this is what I wanted to pursue. Totally. Uh, so it wasn't personal. No, it no, was, I thought. I didn't was, uh, take it personally. You, you explained it really well and I, you know, I totally understood. I, I wrestled with the decision, actually. <laughs> I can actually remember speaking to Lisa about it yeah. over and over and over and over. And I can remember thinking, fuck, I've got to phone him and tell him no. And I was like, I feel that he wanted to do that because, because I'm going to get to this. But when I left the army, I, I seen you as one of my first unofficial mentors. Right. Um, and I was like, you say it with your coaches, the only thing that you want is like the praise and you don't want to let them down. I was like, shit, man, I'm going to let him down here. <laughs> uh, but I know, uh, huge congratulations on getting it to the, to the three-year point. Yeah. Like I say, I'm sure you will stop and celebrate that and the opportunity to work on like what what's going to happen in the next three years. Yeah. You're probably already at that yeah, stage, yeah, yeah. but what's going to happen in the next three years? And I think the way that technology is advancing We've had some technical issues recording this. Um, but the way it's advancing and the opportunities that young people are getting to experience it, just in their, their family lives and in school. Um, like my, my oldest boy, uh, Ben, he's doing coding in yeah, school, yeah, right? Yeah. I remember learning how to do word processing. Yeah. You had to do like 60 words a minute or something. He's doing coding. Yeah. So if there's young people at the end of that journey or if there's teachers listening or careers advisors, how can they essentially identify those kids that might benefit from a career in automation or some type of technical aspect and direct them towards opportunities with school automation or other opportunities with other organisations that are there to support them? Yeah, yeah. The link between young people and then the career and, you know, whatever that is in terms of technology, it's, you know, there's something in the middle got to be able to bridge that, mm -hmm. isn't there, and give the information and the education about future careers, um, so the best place to start is always it's always education and information, isn't it? Is how do we get this information to young people in in that part of their, let's say, senior phase at school? I can imagine, or dare I say, if not earlier, how do you get the information to them so they can make informed decisions about 
either what, what subject they're going to pick um, so they can start to head towards that career. Um, how do you get people's interest as well? You know, yeah. it's, so I, for me, I think there's, a, there's still a lot of work to do. Look, there, when you look across technology and careers and the advice that's out there, there is loads, right? You've really got to look for it, but there is loads there. There is lots of things there, but sometimes for young people, if it's not put in front of them, mm-hmm. they'll never really go and search for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people will, but you know, some people just won't. So I think we've got to do, we've got to do more. And I suppose education and employers in the sector, you know, they need to work a little bit more collaboratively and they've got to be a little bit more creative, you know, rather than, yeah, a long time ago, I used to go into schools and speak to young people about careers and options and choices and, you know, different things. We've got to sort of do it in a creative way. Sometimes just going in and speaking to, a, you know, an assembly hall full of senior phase pupils is, you know, you'd appreciate the opportunity to do it, right? But it probably wasn't the most effective. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's probably not the most effective way to do it, to reach maybe specific individuals. So, you know, we probably need to do better, right, in terms of how do we get the information to the people, one, that are interested, and then how do we how do, we do creative things to make people interested, yeah. right? Because what we do know is, you know, technology will be a massive part of, you know, jobs and careers of young people, right? Yeah. When they grow up and, you know, they're looking for careers. So I suppose schools, careers advisors in, in Scotland anyway, it's Skills Development Scotland, like all these organisations, you know, probably just need to come together. And, and they're already doing it, right? So, you know, it's not to say it's not happening. We should probably just need to do more of it, right? Yeah to get that out there, get the message out there. And sometimes seeing is believing, isn't it? Especially mm. when you're young in that age. Yeah. You know, you can read something or somebody can say something to you, but sometimes doing something for yourself or seeing something for yourself is, ah, that's when the penny drops and that's right. when you maybe spark curiosity and interest, particularly in young people. And then you, you go on a road of finding out more information. So we probably just need to do more of that. Um and how can you start a career in automation? We do recruit for our courses. There's lots of different detail that sit behind when we recruit and things like that. But it's like anything, you know, you go into your website, you can get in touch. You know, there's email, there's, there's a, dare I say, there's a chat bot on the website, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just It just pops up and you yeah, just type a question in and some, someone will pick it up and get back to you. Do yeah. you know, so, there's lots of different ways. If you really want to, yeah. then you, you can reach out and, and find out more. Um, what, what I'll do is I'll put the link to the website in the show notes so as people get access to it. Um, and we'll also just put in a wee email address. So if there is any careers advisors, teachers that are wanting a wee bit of information about how they can support young people, they've got like a direct line of communication to get in touch with either yourself or a member of your team to, yeah, yeah. to, to flesh that out. Um Obviously, coming up to the three-year point, and I know you, Mark, you're, you're a reflective person. I, you take a wee bit of time to think back and and think forward uh, based on, and you keep on, you keep on saying this. Now, I've been hearing it constantly, <laughs> making a decision, yeah, and making it informed. Aye, so so you obviously you need to reflect in order to make your decisions informed. How much time have you taken to reflect on what you would like to achieve personally? So. So for you, 
Like in the next yeah. maybe three to five years, where, where do you see yourself or you and the team going? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, like take it, actually taking the time to sit and reflect and pause, you know, that's not always easy, right? Because, you know, you've, there's a business to run, there's yeah. things to do, there's people to meet, there's, you know, try to make various different things happen across the business. And so sometimes things are quite full on, constant, you know, continuously going every single day. So it's not always easy just to sit, pause, reflect, and then, but it is important, right? So I do appreciate it. That definitely is important. So, you know, we have done that. What I would say is from when we set out the school and the things we thought were going to happen, um, I don't know, me and you sort of laugh about this, but you sort of forecast things, don't you? Right. You sort of forecast, forecast. what's a forecast? <laughs> Right, and forecasting for a startup is, is even harder, right? Because right? you've got no real you just got to make it up. You, yeah, you've, there's no real trend or right. previous history too much, right? Yeah. Or when you're a startup, so that becomes very difficult. Which means, which means the plan you had in the journey you set out, you got to be you got to be open for change, right? Because you know you meet people, there's contacts, there's different things, and it can change maybe your thinking, your view. And you've got to be able just to be adaptable and flexible and move that. So probably that's probably the, one of the biggest learnings in the last three years is you could have a certain path in mind of where you're going and how you're going to get there, you know, but be open to change because, you know, different things can happen. Mm. But just You maybe just need to move slightly and pivot and be a little bit flexible. Um, and that has been the case, you know, if I thought when we first had these grand plans of what's the school going to do and how's it going to expand, et cetera. And, and what's happening now is, right, we're definitely a little bit different. The same yeah. concept is there, right? The same principles are there. Yeah. Um, but how we do it is probably just a little bit different from maybe what we imagined. Yeah. Because new opportunities come up, you know, and that's where you, you try and lead, right? Especially when you're a startup. If, if there's an opportunity there... There's, you know, there's clear, I don't know, anything from contracts or ways of working and they're tangible and they're there, then you, then you follow them, right? Mm. And, and that's what you try and lead with. Um, and, and that's been the case as we've been growing for the last sort of three years and just trying to establish yourself, um like one, who you are, like how do you communicate that internally, externally, you know, what is it you do, how do you differentiate yourself, um, you know, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of things in there, so there's lots of refre reflection, there's times of frustration, there's times you just want to be, things you want to get better, you know, you want things to happen quicker. Yeah. <laughs> right, but you're, what you learn is you, you just need to, you know, temper that frustration maybe a little bit, you know, um, and be patient, you know, be patient. Um, just believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it. So I always stick to that, you know. Yeah. It's always a good sort of guiding principles. Like, what is it you're doing? How's that helping people? Stick with that and how we get there is, you know, it can take time. There's different ways it will move. Um, but ultimately that's sort of where we're heading and what we're going to do. So... You, you Clarity in where you want to go, how you get there is is the part that you can always change, can not it? That can always change in how you get there. Yeah. So we, we we use our so we use the value of the organisation when it comes to our decision making, in the way that we are 
that we are sharing that with the team is that we're using it as our compass. Again, a lot of the a lot of people that, that we've got supporting the organisation are veterans, so we're using like a language that veterans connect with that they know. And we say that the compass will be pointing to your true north, but we know that when you go to march towards your north, like you're going to come up against a river, mm-hmm. and you need to you need to deviate slightly. But as long as you know I'm still heading towards yeah, there, yeah, like yeah. you can take a different route. Um, it's when you start heading south and you you don't pick up on that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, we're, we're still doing now today what we set out when we first started the business, right? right? Yeah. We're still doing that. How how we're doing it, how we got there, Chrysler's a massive big story that's probably another yeah. podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, As you booked in for session too. Yeah, and, and the journey on how you got there and all the different parts of it, right? So big story there, which is a, which is a great story. Yeah. And it's a great experience, I suppose, what am I taking? I'm taking the experience of that, right? For me as Christ, like all the things that you go through to get to this point is is experience and knowledge, you know, and, and it helps me sort of plan and prepare, you know, going forward. Um, to probably answer your question, where are we going now, right? So lots have happened in the last three years. Where are we going now is we just, we want to continue to bring more career opportunities to people, right? I say people because that varies in ages. It's not yeah. always just young people. You know, there's we've got people as young as sixteen, and right through to as old as I think maybe people in their forties. Yeah, right yeah. on our courses in both Glasgow and Dublin and Ireland, where we run them. Um, keep bringing career opportunities within technology within this automation space. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of you know a detail within that, um, and provide quality training as well, like professional training. So we also run so it's two things: new entrants and new career paths for people right yeah. that have never been in this space, and then obviously professional training for businesses who want to upskill their own teams. Right, so we want to make sure that we try and keep pushing that as well and grow yeah. that um, and provide you know quality training I never say the best I know that's I Aye. never say the best Aye. right because there's something that um, you know this but I, I watch a lot of Simon Sinek and yeah. it's like what's, to be the best what does that mean who gave you those metrics and Aye. things like where's the best comfy yeah, yeah. so arbitrary like the best of what like Aye. you know so to provide quality training um, within this sector and in this space, um, so that's where we're headed. We're in we're in Glasgow in Scotland right now. We're in Ireland, so we've got contracts in both areas to provide these opportunities, and we would like to grow that right yeah. because this technology is global, right? There's you know companies and organisations, businesses all over the world use this technology. Yeah. So we want to you know go. Go down south, England, um, and who knows where the next opportunity is. Um, and so we want to grow the geographical spread, Aye. right, and bring this opportunity to more people in more more areas. Yeah, All good. Right. Yeah, I well, I think with your level of ambition, Mark, and your leadership, probably the right person, the right place to to take it on that on that pathway. Shown over the past three years. Uh, before we move on, I think it's probably worth noting this that sometimes people think that okay, just 
like that person's just been given that job or they've just they're, like they're a CEO so they don't really do much work. Um, yeah, yeah. Like they're just at the top of the organisation. It's all the it's all the worker bees at the bottom that do all the all the worker stuff. But it's it, it's not actually the case. Um no, like, I, I would say like there's there's a differentiation between people who maybe like work in an organisation, then people who are like responsible for the well being of the organisation. So yeah. the well being of the the actual product, but yeah. also the well being of the people. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it's your it's your job to look after people. Right? Totally, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um I suppose that being the CEO, right? The Christ the title alone, you're like, God. But being the CEO of a startup, you know, the honest truth is there's nothing too glamorous about that, right? <laughs> because, you know, you're you're doing everything from finance to people to marketing to having meetings with everybody and anybody you possibly can, right? To speak getting dragged the, into podcasts. You know, getting dragged into podcasts. Yeah. And really, it's all about just communicating who are the school what do we do you know there's that whole side of it and then the actual operations of the business as well right so even even when we we are running groups and students it's 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 always taking care of that as well when making sure you know we're delivering against you know our values and how we want to do it um and making sure that's successful right because you know there's no point in training people I mean, you have been involved in training, um, you know, some time now, and training for training's sake, uh, like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, we want to make sure we link the whole pathway. Right, it's really important. So it's not about training delivery, and then let people go on, you know, to go and find a job themselves. Right, it's, uh, we don't want to do that. We try and link the whole pathway. So it's about training into careers, into jobs and employment, you know, and, and, and link the whole journey for people and students. Um, so it's the execution of that, right? Yeah. Um, and all the things that, that go with that. Um, and you're right, and being responsible for the team that that is involved in that day in, day out, you know, it's not me, you know, it's not me that looks after, you know, students in all the different groups. Yeah. It's it's our team, it's our technical trainer, it's our training manager, etc. That that deal with them on a daily basis. So they look after the students, you know, and I, you know, in a way, look after them. Right, make yeah. sure they're happy at their work. You know, what's concerning them? What have they got on? We're organised, we're planned, we're prepared. You know, we deal with challenges. Nothing goes smoothly, right? It's you know, things happen. And it's just making sure that you know you're able to step in and manage those challenges or problems, um, put solutions in place. So, the job of a CEO of a startup is, you know, you don't just sit back and watch everything and happen. Christ, right. not at all. Yeah. Thanks, Mark, for that for that wee insight. Just going to move us on. Uh, we're going to talk briefly just about mental health. Um, a constant stream that we are delivering through our podcast series is opportunities for people to understand different perspectives of mental health because when we ask people like what is mental health quite often the answer is varied so we're not going to ask you what mental health is i'm just going to start us off at where i think we both took a lot of learning about mental health for adults um, which was the resilience documentary yeah um, and we, we both seen that when, when we worked at tigers and 
I've referred to this time and time again, that the, the importance of that documentary is staggering. What was the impact that that documentary had on you? And what were some of the key takeaway points that you had when it came to changing the way that you maybe led people? Because, yeah. again, the differentiation here, is, this might be a, bit of a selfish question, but at the time I was working with young people delivering training and you were in the position of being the operations manager, Again, Charles with the responsibility of looking after me mm. and the other team of trainers that we had. So what was what was the impact that it had on you from that perspective of leadership? I suppose for me watching the watching the resilience documentary was was fascinating. Fascinating in the way that just probably just learning about the impact of stress and what that has on people and the biology of people. Yeah. And I suppose when you watch the documentary, you know, there's a bigger picture there in, in terms of health outcomes, right? And there's lots of stats, you know, in, in terms of ACs, et cetera, et cetera, and how that impacts, you know, health of people. That, so that was definitely one thing which is eye-opening, right? Probably concerning because, okay, the documentary was in America, but, you know, it applies anywhere. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? We're, people, we're all people. So it applies to anyone right so when your body's under stress how does it react and i don't think i've ever up to that point i don't think i've ever thought about anything as deep as that yeah right it's like it's almost like when you're when you're under pressure or feeling stressed at the time it was just a word right Aye. you know you just stressed was a word i didn't think anything deeper than that that yeah. was it that's you know that was it and it was you i suppose you intuitively tried to work your own self through it, around it, over it, <laughs> whatever, right? Um, I suppose, firstly, for yourself, if you were feeling like that, um, then you've just got ways, you've got ways that you try to cope, right? And there's ways that you behaved in those moments. So suppose for me, the documentary, you know, gave a bit of depth and insight to what was really going on in your body, yeah. right? So I suppose when I was watching it, it I was looking at other people, it was happening to other people, right? But very quickly you go, well, actually, I'm one of those people, right? Yeah. So that actually happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> so the documentary itself was a real eye-opener, and I suppose it was the start of a, a huge learning journey all about the impact of stress on the body, which then impacts on people's behaviour, and then I suppose then if people behave in a certain way because of how they're feeling, okay, then that starts to impact your work life, doesn't it? Yeah. And and then and everything you do, home life, work life, and any other relationship and you know, place you find yourself. So that started to get really fascinating for me. Like I really enjoyed those sessions and huge kudos to Tigers at the time. That learning journey for me was it was fascinating. It really got me curious about learning. Right, I yeah. don't think I've ever really been curious enough to learn about things like that. But you know, I really took to that. Um, at the time, Tigers had brought in Suzanne Zidike, and she probably opened that up and explored that way us as a team at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, a bit more in depth of what was really going on for people. Um, so I really enjoyed those sessions. I took a lot of learning from them. Yeah, so for me then, it was about, what, I suppose, 
there was a there was a little bit of a process for me. Is I didn't just jump straight into oh how am I going to start leading people? Mm-hmm. It, it was never that. It was never as quick as that. It was always a case of ah okay I'm quite fascinated. So it took a little bit of time just to learn more, uh, understand it, process it, and then think ah oh, okay. And it, I think I think one of the first things it does is it, it, you start with yourself in terms of you start recognising things in yourself. Mm. And I suppose in my behaviours, um, you know, you talk about the stress response, right? And if you've got a high stress response and <clears throat> the impact that can have on on people. So I suppose that then I was thinking about myself, Chris, okay, when, when I feel like that, that's what's going on in my body. And then you could link it, you could actually link that to certain types of behaviour, right? Yeah. That were very obvious. Yeah. And I just found that fascinating. So once I sort of learned a little bit more about myself and going, oh God, right, I became consciously aware, right? But whereas before I wasn't, I just I just felt something and sort of pushed on and pushed by it with no real thinking. Now I started becoming consciously aware. And I think for me, it started at home, home life. Uh, I could see how I was sort of reacting, maybe even dealing with things, whether it was right or wrong. And and then looking at other people and seeing their behaviour and going, ah, okay. And when I would see things, I would go, ah, they must be feeling maybe like this, Aye. right? So I would always link link that. Um, so that became a sort of process and an ongoing journey. And then obviously it comes your work, doesn't it? So if you're responsible for teams and leading and people then you know you start to see behaviors in people because you're, if you're trying to get the best out of people and you know work cohesively as a team and you know reach goals and outcomes and achieve things and targets and whatever it is your business involves then it needs people but if you i suppose for me then it made sense as as a leader of people you got to understand people right you've got to understand what's happening for totally. them totally Right, so if so, if things would happen in the team, then it always came back to that for me. It was okay, like if somebody was behaving or reacting in a certain way, then there would always be, I would always go right, okay, what's behind that? What's a bit? What's a little bit deeper? Yeah, right. You so I, I, I suppose I, I think I was always quite good at staying calm in situations because I was always curious about what else was going on. I would never react to the behaviour. I would always go, ah, okay, and you know, I was, I was, I think I was quite good at sort of communicating with people, seeing what the problem was, whatever that could be, it could be a million things, and then just probably digging a little bit deeper, and then managing to come up with a solution or a problem, or or speak to people in a way they could maybe just see differently, yeah, um, or from another perspective, or maybe just understand what it is that was going on for them and even yeah and sometimes just using the words and the language actually just helped people so i suppose that's how i how i took all that sort of learning into sort of leadership yeah i was i was smiling there because you say it's like you always looked at yourself as like a calm approach yeah Uh, i actually felt that calmness when like when i was stressed (laughs) so i can remember making that that initial step up into the uh, step up as learning development manager yep. and uh, at this point I was given one of them fucking forecasts <laughs> and I remember thinking like what am I supposed to do with this like how am I supposed to make sure this money comes in and I used to always be like oh I've not, I've not found £20 now, you, I, genuinely I used to be really stressed about it 
and I can remember I can remember loads of times where you've sat us doing and you've went either like like listen it's only 20 quid it's, you know it's not it's not going to we're not going to get the liquidation it's only 20 quid uh, and you you would be really good at putting things into perspective yeah um, but you were always very calm at it so even when we were part of the same team uh, and one month if we were making like a wee bit of a loss I remember again feeling like ah oh, shit I've, like we've, we've failed here as a team like this isn't good yeah, for me yeah. Um, we would get into that meeting and I can remember genuinely being a wee bit envious thinking like how the fuck does he stay so calm and like how could he manage to communicate us like really effectively when internally like my body's a pure riot man yeah. and he's just sitting over there pure nice and calm like this is just what it is this is the way it's, <laughs> this is the way it's worked out um, we'll, I don't know we'll just keep trying our best and I was like that, that was really beneficial for me to see that um, and again I don't think I don't think you get to see that. I don't think mm. that people will probably quite often tell you that. So it's probably important for you to hear it. Yeah. Talking about like mental health and your understanding of it, obviously as, as the CEO and with every organisation, and, and rightly so, mental health is very well spoken about within uh, education, within corporate spaces, I'd imagine within automation. Uh, it's, it's well spoken about on the telly. It's, yeah, yeah. And that's good because it's bringing real awareness to it. Um, and it's allowing it's allowing really meaningful conversations to take place, whether that be conversations at a dinner table with families or conversations in a workspace with, with employers, employees, bridging that gap so those people have got nice trust and relationships that they can have. Um, what type of role do you think that you or other members of your team have got when it comes to overcoming challenges or supporting people who might be having yeah. a challenge with their own mental health? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, In fact, I'm just going to try and be a wee bit more direct here. Yeah, yeah. Is it an employer's responsibility? To to do what? To look after people's mental health. To look after it? Yeah. Here's my, well, I suppose here's my thoughts on it. Um, everybody's got mental health, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, doesn't it just, it's only, it's not a select few people have it. Everybody's got it. Yeah. It's just how you manage it, right? That's kind of what I think. And everybody has ups and downs in their mental health. Um, some people's, unfortunately, it's sustained and they can't ever regulate themselves and bring themselves because there's, there's, too, there's a lot of things within their environment, whether it's work or home life, that spike it. And they live and have a high stress response, right? Which we both know, you know, that's not good for people, right? It's no yeah. good for... It's the impact then that has on them, right, and their ability to work and perform and be at their best, right? So we know the impacts that that, that has. So for me, I suppose my approach is, you know, if we employ people at the school and, you know, my responsibility is to lead then is, one thing I'm really clear on is it's not my job to fix anybody, right? Mm. I can't, it's not possible. It's it, And it's not mine. I don't know, I've, I've yeah. got quite clear boundaries of if someone came to me in the team where, I don't know, what's going on in their life, whatever that may be, right, a multitude of different things is, I don't take that as mine, right? I've got all the empathy in the world and compassion and I'll, and I'll give them my time and I'll chat to them and listen to them. But I don't, I'm quite clear, it's, it's, it's not for me to to tell them something, to give them something, to direct them somewhere that's going to fix it. Because I know the complexity 
of mental health and it's not to be fixed. It's something that's to be worked on and to try and get the balance right in your life and whatever it is it's going on. So I, I just see my role as an employer is give people the time and space first, right? Because yeah. if people are highly anxious, then, you know, the first thing they need is probably something quite common, which is a space, it's an environment, and it's maybe somebody beside them just to hear them about what's going on, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I think, okay, that's my job. I'll provide things that are within my control, which is the environment, I can control that. The time, I can control that and give them that. And the space to sort of sit, listen and chat, I can control all these three things. Yeah. And I believe, you know, knowing what I know, that actually is helpful, right? So I know by providing those things, it will actually help someone that's maybe going through, you know, some challenging times. And for me, that's you can only you can only be responsible for what you're in control of, mm. right? And if somebody's having mental health problems or a real tough time, and whatever the reason is, you know, sometimes you can't fix it. It's no yours to fix, yeah. because a lot of things is it's it's for the person to work through, and either change and make small changes about their thoughts, how they think about something, their perspective. And, and maybe they just need somebody to sit alongside them and help them work that through, right? Now, for a lot of people, there's professional help there that people will, you know, go and seek professional help. And absolutely, if people get to that point, then they should, right? But what can what can I do and our team do uh, to help any of our team that were, let's say, suffering in that way is provide those three things. You know, and that's what I'm in control of and that's what I can provide. And I can check in with them. I can update, keep updated with them. I can, you know, take an interest in how they are, yeah. how they're progressing, you know, how they're feeling, et cetera, et cetera. And I can do all those things. And sometimes that might impact business and operations and, you know, but for me, that's absolutely fine. That's, there's, that's not an issue for me. Yeah. If it impacts business, then it impacts business. Yeah. Right. If if you know if they can't do their job that day, then they can't do their job. Guess what? The school will still be here tomorrow. Aye. <laughs> do you Aye. know? I, yeah. I really don't get hung up in that. I don't get. I don't personally get anxious about that. Right. Yeah. So I in those moments, I can still remain calm and yeah. you know. And the most important, the priority is you know trying to calm that person that you know. It's sort of, dare I say, spiraling with our thoughts and their emotions and and things like that. So, kind of, that's my approach. Yeah, and that's how I think I can I can help. I think I think that's really useful for people here. Yeah, because um, sometimes like the complexity behind a question like that, yeah, yeah. some people can think, "Oh, holy shit! What have we got to do as an employer, as a business, to make sure that everybody's mental health is taken care of?" Um, really important aspects like everybody's got it. You know, everybody experiences it. I think for me, it's, it's it's always about it's about my intention, right? Is you know, what's more important, the person or the business? The person, yeah. That's my answer all day long. The yeah. person, the business, like what what is business? It will be there. It will be here tomorrow, next month, or the next year, or yeah. whatever, whatever. It will be here. You know, people are more important than than the business. That's yeah. just a fact. And you know, I'm quite ve- I'm very comfortable in saying that. Yeah. You know. Um, so my intention is, 
and sometimes people come to you, let's say with the most complex thing they could possibly say to you, right, to do with their mental health. As long as you know your intention is to to try and help. Yeah. You know? Aye. Then nine times out of ten, you can't really go wrong, mm-hmm. right? If if you just offer some help and support and just let them know that you're here to help and support, you know, it might make the smallest bit of difference, but sometimes that can just be enough and that's your role. But always remember, it's, it's not your job to fix people. That that can't happen. Mm. You can't fix somebody, do you know? Yeah, that's that's very well put, Mark. Um, gen- genuinely. It, and I, I say that because we're going to move into kit bag. Um, yep. And... For for everybody listening, obviously IFF is a sponsor of the the, the podcast, uh, and for every guest that we get, we go through kit bag. I don't need to introduce this to Mark. Um, Mark was part of the same team that it was introduced to, so we've got a wee bit of experience with it. And his partner Deborah also works with it quite uh, quite instinctively and intuitively within the primary school that she works in. So I don't need to introduce you, Mark, to the cards. Yep. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly shuffle them, um, and then I'm going to give you two at random. And you know the score. Yep. Uh, pick one to keep. Let us know why you would like to keep it. And then pick one to pass on uh, before we finish up on the podcast. So your two cards are trust and celebration. Oh, trust and celebration. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with kit bag. Uh, over the years, we've done lot, lots of different work with that. Uh, it's a great tool. So the two cards I've got, celebration and trust, I suppose... Uh, keep one and give one away. Is that what we're yeah, saying? Or you can, or you can keep both. Keep both. Um, I suppose I, I'm, I'm going to keep trust for myself, right? Um, the way I see that is keep trust for myself. Just, and I suppose that's f- what I mean by that is just trust my instincts, right? Um, leading a business and an organisation and. Sometimes that can terrify people a little bit. And Christ, what am I doing? Where am I going? You know, it can actually create, you know, a bit of anxiety in people. But I try and remain calm and in them. The trust as in just trust my instincts, trust my intentions, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and just keep moving forward. So that's how I see the trust card. Okay. I, you know, I'll keep that to myself and that's what it sort of means to me. Um Celebration. Um, I suppose I'll give that to you, Danny. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll give that to you because I know we've probably spent a lot of time speaking about me in this podcast. Um, but equally, you've been on a journey. Um, and, I, and I know you've sort of set up your own business, being Unity. I know the various different work you're involved in, the communities you're helping, the people you're support, like you're helping. And that's to be celebrated as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I would like to gift that back to you in terms Thank of celebration. You. So you, you told me to, earlier in the, the podcast there, you said, for me, working up to three years and take time to celebrate that. But equally, same back to you. You know, I, I know we catch up every now and again. And, you, you know, we sort of share the journey a little bit and what we're doing. But, yeah, take time for yourself to celebrate doing loads of good work in, in the podcast and what we're doing in this series that you've, you're doing here is it's just part of that um, and I suppose it's speaking and to various different people 
I suppose I was thinking when you asked me to do the podcast, I was like, why me? Like, what, like, <laughs> what have I got to say that's interesting? But you know, so I suppose I get it. I suppose it's just about people from all walks of life speaking about their journey um, and I suppose the topics that you've you've posed to us. So, no, well done, good job. Um, take that card back for yourself. Brilliant, thanks, Mark. Um, so I was I was going to comment before before you commented, right? Yeah. But I didn't want to didn't want to like change. What, what I was going to say, right? <laughs> uh, and we use the kit bag at our veteran ERV, which is our mental health and suicide prevention support group. And quite often, uh, on a Monday when we do online kit bag, we'll pick up cards for people and we do them at random, so they pick just random numbers. Uh, and it's usually qualities on the cards that, that those veterans need at that moment in time. Um, so one of the guys that's always on a call, uh, and he. he He's on for his own support, but he's also on to support other veterans. That's that's part of the environment that we've that we've created for that. And he says, like, bloody hell, the cards seem to know what you need. Right? <laughs> they always seem to know. Doesn't matter what it is that you're experiencing. Um, they just know how to challenge you and they know what you need. So you get these cards at random. And as I was as I was saying, take the time to celebrate, I was like, if those cards know celebration will come out in this <laughs> did you think that and then I mixed them so is it, could they come out at the top and then celebration <laughs> come out so aye, it's almost if the cards know thanks very much for passing it to me though um, and I, I'll take it and I, I will celebrate our achievements as well as celebrating the achievements of Definitely. the guests that are part of this podcast before we finish I'm just going to um, thank you sure. Mark one for your time to, to help us generate some conversations on the podcast hopefully the story that you've shared will help to inspire other people but also just give give people a wee bit of confidence that if you're 14 to 18 you don't really know what you're doing and you take a risk like yeah. it doesn't determine where you're going to be in 30 years time 100% it so will build true. that experience yeah. so true and also just on a personal level like I say when I first left the army Tigers was the first job that I had and again that team was a really good team um, positive people in there everybody went on this journey at the same time to understand resilience which led to a wider conversation, attachment and trauma uh, and people's experiences and how people experience the world. And that launched me into like, at the time, a world of exploration, like really driven by curiosity. But also at the same time, it, it, it made me reflect on my experiences through childhood and my experiences that I just had in the army. Yeah. And then throughout that period of understanding I ended up having my own challenges, which you knew yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because when I was going to get help, you never asked the questions like, what's the specific thing that happened? Like, what was that thing? Yep. You were always just really calm and present in that moment in time. You didn't need to understand the thing that happened. You were just like, what's going on right now? And what can we do to help? So personally, thank you for that. As my first unofficial mentor... <laughs> after leaving the army um, I don't think I could have came across a better male role model to 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 have leading me um, and I'm really glad that since we both went our different directions yep. we've managed to keep our relationship going um, so Mark thank you yep no I appreciate the Danny uh, massively appreciate your kind words when we worked together we, we got on really well there was just you know there was a synergy about you know what we were interested in what we were doing We've went our separate ways, but we still kept in touch, you know, and we're back here today chatting about, you know, that journey. And yeah. but I suppose the one thing that's always sort of there is about the interest and curiosity about people. Yeah. 
their well-being. Um, I suppose you're doing your business. At, you know, I'm sort of doing what I'm doing in terms of software technology training, but the same, you know, the same topic is still there. It's still so important. Still um, relationships. Regardless of what you're doing. Absolutely. So, no, absolute pleasure. I appreciate um, the opportunity to speak and, yeah, share my story. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. In this Mindful Minute segment of the podcast, I would like to invite you to reflect on the episode. Uh, Listen to the sounds and rhythm of the river flowing, the birds singing, and perhaps focus on your breathing and the different sensations in your body. So when you hear the bell, and if it's safe, so make sure you're not driving, I'd like you to close your eyes and just be with yourself, bringing those feelings and sensations into awareness. So here we go. And that brings us to the end of our Mindful Minute. I hope that it brought a sense of calm over you and provided some clarity of thought. Thank you very much for taking part. 